Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. We are a church with a heart for people and the message of Jesus. It is our desire that you'll be drawn closer to God through today's teaching. To access notes from today's message, go to foxriverchristian.org slash message. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here with you today. I'm Pastor Rob. I'm thankful that you're here with us to be able to wrap up our series that we've been in called Disrupted. You know, we've experienced a lot of disruption. Over these last few weeks, we've looked at the disruption of Jesus's church. We've also looked at disruption in our homes and our relationships. Then we've looked at disruption that actually takes us by surprise in those unexpected moments. And then last week, we looked at Disruption by loss and suffering. And you know, there have been great helps during this series, and I'd encourage you, if you've missed one of the weeks, that you go back and you you go ahead and take a look at that, as there's just going to be great opportunities and great helps for this for many days to come even, um, because it's not the first time we're going to be disrupted. We know that for certain. But we need an anchor to hold on to, and so we've chosen an anchor through our maxim, and it's simply this. It's discovering God in disruption, because that's something that we're going to need to hold on to over and over and over again. And today we're going to talk about a disruption that impacts every single one of us. Every one of us have experienced it, will experience it again. Hopefully not, but you might be in the midst of it right now. And that is disruption of discouragement. Think about that for a moment. How easy it is when you are in a disruption of life that it's very easy to get tired. You know, at first it might be exciting, kind of exhilarating even, and it's new. It might seem like a detour. It might seem like just a small delay, but the longer that delay goes on, the more fatigued we get. And that fatigue turns into that discouragement. Well, Pastor Guys, he took us into the life of David during our second week in this series, King David at that point. We're also going to look at David's example to see how, when a disruption comes, we can still discover God. In fact, I just want to ask you, how have you most recently discovered God in your life? Maybe in a new way. Maybe you've seen him show up differently because of the disruption even. I want to encourage you, in fact, go ahead and just encourage someone else by putting that in the chat right now if you're here with us live today. Otherwise, just go ahead and share that with someone. Again, how you've seen God, you've discovered God maybe in a new way during this time of disruption that we find ourselves in. As I mentioned, we're going to look at the life of David in order to follow his example for the great helps that it comes when we're discouraged because David found himself disrupted, but he also found himself discouraged. The Bible even say distressed because some major things were going on in his life. We find that in 1 Samuel chapter 30. So I'd ask you, grab a Bible, or maybe you've got um, a Bible app on your phone, like version. If you go ahead, you'll find the Old Testament book called 1 Samuel chapter 30. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little background to David's life up to this point. You see, David was chosen to be the next king of Israel. He was chosen by God. He was anointed by him. And he'd been waiting to become that next king because the first king of Israel, King Saul, was still alive and still the king. And Saul became very jealous of David. And what he did was he began to hunt him down, trying to kill him. So David found himself needing refuge. He was running for three years. And he went to enemy territory 
out of desperation to a neighboring country to the Philistine king, King Achish. And he asked Achish if he could live in one of his cities along with 600 men and their families. And that city was called Ziklag. Well, Achish and David got along very well and Achish found this great trust for David. And he told David, there's gonna be a day when you're gonna actually need to fight with us against your own people, Israel. He says, and that day has come. And so as David was called by Achish to travel about 50 miles to the battle lines, several of the other generals in the Philistine army were very uncomfortable with this whole idea of having Israelites fight alongside of them, saying they're going to turn on us. And probably that would have probably happened. And so they sent David and the 600 men that were with him back to Ziklag. And on their way back, as they were just getting to the city, they experienced the worst nightmare they could have ever imagined. And that's where we find ourselves when it comes to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And let's look at verse number one. It tells us here, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites, they were another enemy of Israel, in particular David. Now the Amalekites raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam, of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, of Carmel. David was greatly distressed. That's an understatement there, isn't it? He was distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Now, it's very tempting, isn't it, when we're in the middle of a disruption, to find someone to blame. Think how easy it is to blame someone when you're in disruption. Think how hard it is to not blame them, in fact. You know, just this last week, last Sunday, in fact, I had an appointment that I was at. You know how it goes. You have your phone in your pocket. The phone goes off. You can feel it vibrating. I felt it vibrating. It stopped. Thought, no big deal. I'll get it later. Couple of seconds later, it goes off again. It's like, oh, you know that feeling of, I better look at this. Disruption. Pull out the phone. Lee Warnell, my wife. That took it to a new level. It's like, okay, as I look at the two phone calls and I look at the text that says, please call me right away. I'm like, oh no, what's happening? Well, if you remember back Sunday, we had about five inches of rain come down in about 30 seconds time, it seemed like. And so as I call her, she says, there's water running into the basement. I'm bailing out the window well. I thought, okay, I better get home. Finished up the appointment, said, I got to get out of here. I head home. All the water that was supposed to go from the roof into the gutters was overflowing the gutters and going down into a window well and coming into the house. Fortunately, it wasn't a finished part of the basement, so it was not much of a big deal. But right away, you know what I was doing? Figuring out who can I blame for this? That what's the problem? I already cleaned out those gutters once. Who filled those gutters back up again with leaves? Who didn't make enough room? in order for that water to go in the basement. And you know where my mind wanted to go? Who provided all this rain in this short amount of time? 
Yeah, sometimes when we don't know who else to blame, sometimes we blame God. When our life is disrupted, it's very tempting to blame, isn't it? Think about school. A little bit harder right now. It's easy to blame because you have to do classes online. Think about when the internet goes down, when you're in the midst of an important call. Who do you blame at that point? Maybe you're the grandmother who couldn't find her glasses and it wasn't until after she had blamed every single person in the house for taking them and hiding them from her that she realized that they were in the exact same spot that she had left them. You know, blame is a really difficult thing. And we see that no matter what happens, we can get sucked into it. And someone has to be held responsible, don't they? Even for the smallest things, they have to be held responsible. I mean, think about even the small things that people are being blamed for. Just look at social media over the last two months even and see that it just feels like this will help. But in reality, blame never helps. It never solves anything. That's where David found himself, was on the other side of 600 defeated, bitter, angry men being blamed. And you know the interesting thing about blame is we often forget that the person we're blaming is oftentimes going through the exact same circumstances that we find ourselves in. That's what was happening with David. As the men were looking at David and looking at their loss, they were overlooking David's loss. That he had experienced the same exact thing as them. And think about it. It didn't make any sense, did it? Kill David? What good's that going to do? Blame David? What good is that? He's not the one who had taken their wives and their children. And yet it's so easy to fall into that blame game. But David didn't allow himself to be sucked into the blame. He didn't. He did something very important in the midst of this disheartening, discouraging time that every single one of us need to do. I want to give you three things that we see David did immediately. Three helps for you if you find yourself in discouragement right now. And it isn't really and if you find yourself in discouragement, it's when you find yourself in discouragement. We'll find David's reaction and his action take place immediately. Let's go back, if we would, even to our passage, and we'll see this begin to unfold. If we go back and we see in verse number six, I stopped prematurely. Some of you might have even read ahead because like, wait, the verse doesn't stop there. It has one sentence left after that period. But it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him, killing him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Every one of us needs to take that time of disruption and that time of discouragement and realize we're going to be tired during that time. And the first thing we need is to get that strength back. That strength that's going to come from one place. Because we can look in all kinds of different places for that. We can look to things that, that will be temporary. We can look to things that might soothe us for a little while. But there's only one thing that will last, and that is a strength that comes from God. Now, you might be asking that question, well, how in the world do I get that strength? How does it go from God down to me? How does it go from God's 
mind, God's heart, into my heart. Well, in order to see that, we need to look at a little more of David's life. And I just want to take a small portion of it, but I think it's the best place to look. And we understand how God continued to connect with David and touch his heart. And we find it in the book of Psalms. And the reason for Psalms is David wrote many of the Psalms. And what they are is they are raw and they're real conversations with God. In fact, you'll read some of the Psalms and you, you might scratch your head thinking, man, how can somebody talk to God that way? But what we're going to see is two parts in one of these Psalms. Psalm chapter 13. And we're going to see, God, we're going to see David is able to clearly articulate his problem and then to look to God's promise. In Psalm chapter 13, as I mentioned, it's something that's going to help us to be able to see the reality and sometimes how we need to connect with God and how we can find strength as we connect with God when we become real with him, with the discouragement and with the problems. It's more than okay to talk to God about our discouragement. In fact, he invites us to. And when you see, again, what David does here, we can use that as our example to find strength in God as well. In Psalm 13, he says this, How long, Lord? Anybody else asking that question right now? When is it going to stop? It's not supposed to be this way. He says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And then he turns it. Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And he begins to name God's promise as he says this, as he finishes the psalm. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. That's real. That's someone who is talking to God with the reality of the problems that are taking place in their life. And so if you were to name your problems, what would it be like? I thought of a few myself, even. At times, it's very easy to feel isolated and alone right now. And so we name our problem, we say, I am alone. But God, what's God's promise? There's another part to that. You see, when we feel alone and when we even say, look, I am alone. Here's what God says. Hebrews 13, 5 reminds us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe you feel like nothing will ever change. That's the problem. It seems like it's going to be this way forever. It seems like I'm stuck right now. Nothing will ever change. And God's promise to us, we find in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6, he says, I began a good work in you, and I will complete that work that I've begun in you. Maybe it's this one. I've touched on it just a little bit. Maybe you're tired. And your problem right now is you're worn out. Things are totally different for you right now than they've ever been in life. And in that tired state, Jesus himself this time has an invitation to you. In the book of Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28, he tells those who are weary, those who are burdened to come to him. And his promise is this. When you come to me, I will give you rest. 
That's how we strengthen ourselves in God. But you know, you have to draw near to God in order for him to strengthen you. Rather than right, going right to an action to fix a problem, we need to pause. And we need to seek God's strength and ask him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 31. He tells us that those who want to find hope can find it. In fact, it's a very special way that he brings it. And he brings it to him, to each of us as we ask for it. But he tells us this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 31. He says, but those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. That's the strength that God wants to give every one of us. But we have to seek it. We have to come to him. And so what does that look like for you? As goes your relationship with God, so goes that strength that he wants to offer to you. And so my question of you is simply this. How are you finding strength during your disruption? What are you doing to find strength from God? Are you spending time with him? Are you drawing near to him? Or are you still trying to fix something that you're not sure if it can ever be fixed? And God's saying, I want you to come to me first and foremost. That's not all I want from you. But first and foremost, I want you to find strength. Not only did David go to God for strength, he also asked God for what he needed. So God wants us to come to him for strength, but he also wants us to come to him and ask him for what it is that we need. The need was very obvious to everyone. Your need right now and your discouragement may be very obvious to you. But to be able to come to God and to ask him and to be able to come to him directly and say, I need your help. This is the way that David did it. If we go back to our passage in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and we go to verse number seven, it says, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, that's going to be an important piece here, the son of Ahimelech, he says, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he said. He answered, You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Immediately, David got an answer. I realize it doesn't always happen that way. Now, you might be thinking, What in the world is the ephod? He says, Bring me the ephod. Well, the ephod was simply this. An ephod was a piece of, of a garment that the priest would wear because only the priest could go in at certain times into the tabernacle, which is where the presence of God was. And so the ephod was made up of materials much like what you would find in the tabernacle. And when someone had, and in particular, when they were asking for forgiveness of their sins, they would need to go through the priest who had the ephod. And so in this case, David asked Abiathar, the priest, to bring the ephod so that he could ask God, to help him with a very important need. And that is to be able to get his wife and his children back again. Now, here's the encouraging piece. You don't need an ephod because you might already be thinking, where do I get one of those ephods? I can't tell you, okay? But I can tell you this, you don't need an ephod. And you don't need a priest in order to come to God. And you don't need the high priest. And here's why, because we already have one. You see, Hebrews points it out this way. The book of Hebrews explains to us 
that we have a high priest. And we can go to that high priest in need. And we can go to that high priest and we can actually bring anything that we need to in front of him. And it tells us his name. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Wow. God is inviting us to come to him with our discouragement. He's inviting us to come to him and think about that. God says, I want you to approach my throne. I want you to bring anything and everything to me, all your requests to me, and I want you to do it confidently. So what's keeping us from doing that? You have the God of the universe who wants you to come to him and to ask for exactly what it is that you need. Are you willing to do that? And you say, I have. He wants us to continue to come to him. What is it that you're coming to God for confidently, boldly, and asking of him? What is your prayer to God right now? You know, for the last eight weeks, Pastor Guy, myself, several of our staff members, and thousands of other people, maybe even millions now around the world, for the last eight weeks have been asking God confidently and specifically, would you bring healing? Would you heal our world physically from this virus? And would you heal our world spiritually by bringing more and more people to you? What's your ask? What are you coming to God with? Are you coming to him for strength? Are you coming to him with your need? Are you willing to do that? And when we're weary and we're tired and we're worn out, he still wants us to come to him boldly. He wants us to have that conversation with him. And he wants us to bring those requests directly to him. So are you willing to put God first? Maybe bookend your day even with a conversation with him. You've heard us talk about the importance of, of reading your Bible, taking the U version, downloading the app if you've never done that opening up a plan, reading the verse of the day, and then taking some time and praying to God and pouring your heart out to him, connecting with him and asking for his help. How will that change your life? How will that help you in the discouragement, in the disruption, to continue to move in the direction that he wants us to move? You know, after we've received that strength from God, after we've expressed our need to him, we need to hear from him. And once we hear from him, we need to take action. David took action. And it was an action that was directed by God. If you go back to that verse number eight, he tells us again that, that what happened there was as he asked the priest, Abiathar, he got his answer from God and it was a very clear answer. And in that clarity, he went ahead 
and he acted upon it. It says, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And so guess what happened? He didn't sit back wondering, should I do it or should I not? David and the 600 men went to get their families back. But it wasn't until after he had acted upon it that he began to see God's work. Because every step of faith we take, it leads to another step. You may not get the whole picture right away. You may not see everything happen the way that you want. But it takes one step of faith in order for God to reveal another to you. Think about it kind of like if you're to go out tonight when it's pitch black, wait till dark, and you're to take a flashlight and you were to shine that flashlight. And you were to see the ending of that flashlight. And you're thinking, that flashlight doesn't go far enough. I can't see the whole picture. I can't see the end of my journey. What do you do in order to extend that flashlight? Get a better flashlight? No. Get stronger batteries? Maybe. There's one simple thing that you need to do. As you take one step forward, the more of the path will be illuminated. And that's the way God works. As we act upon what he's revealed to us, and we take one step, He'll reveal and illuminate our path and show us the next step and the next step and the next step. For David, it looked like this. They decided to go. They didn't know where they're going. They didn't know where to find the Amalekites. But on their way there, they stumbled upon an Egyptian slave who happened to be one of the slaves of the Amalekites. He was all by himself, not because he had escaped, but because he was left there to die because he had become very ill, but he didn't die. And as they nursed him back to health, he was the next step for them. Because that Amalekite promised that if they would do him no harm, that, that slave, Egyptian slave, promised if they would not do any harm to him, that he would show them where the Amalekites were. And that's exactly what happened. So as David took a step, if David had never taken that step, he would have never found the Egyptian slave. And if he would have never found his, the Egyptian slave, he would have never found his, his wives and his children. We need to take a step of faith. We need to act upon what God has revealed to us and shown us. And we need to take that step and the next and the next. Saying, God, would you continue to reveal your plan and your will for me? Step by step by step. What does that look like? For each and every one of us, that can get overwhelming. Because sometimes we can be paralyzed analyzing things. And we can wonder, God... It doesn't make sense. Where do I find what I'm supposed to do in this book that you've given to me? This is your word. This is where, where I meet with you. This is where I find out about you. But as we've learned, we need to listen to God and just do the next right thing. That may be your prayer. God, what is the right next thing that you have for me? David discovered God when it seemed like all hope was lost. His family was kidnapped. His home was burned. He had someone, many, actually 600 people who wanted him dead. And yet, David did three things. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He asked Lord, the Lord exactly for what he needed. And then he took a step. It's the same thing for each and every one of us. In your disruption, has it caused you to be discouraged? And in your discouragement, will you come to God for strength? Will you ask him for what you need? 
And will you take a step that's been directed by him? Maybe your next step is that you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior. Maybe that's the exact next step that God has placed on your heart today. That high priest is the high priest because he came and he gave the final sacrifice that was ever needed for our sin. And he did it by not only being the high priest, but by being the lamb of God. And he did it by going to the cross and dying for you and for me. And so if you've never received Christ before today, I want to encourage you to do so today. Because I believe that is your next step. In a moment, we're going to pray. and I'm going to ask you to pray to receive Christ. If you're a Christ follower already and you're discouraged because of the disruption, I'm going to ask you to make another commitment that you've probably made before. And that is you will renew your strength by drawing near to God. You'll come to him confidently and you'll ask him for the strength to take that next step. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you that you give us strength, even in discouragement, and that we can discover you even more in disruption. And I pray that you'd help each and every one of us. God, I pray that you'd help us to come near to you, to have those real conversations with you, to ask you for exactly what it is that we need. And most of all, God, to take that next right step. If you're here with us today and you've never received Christ as your savior, I want to encourage you to pray with me something like this right now. Dear God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice for my sin. That by him going to the cross and shedding his blood, that that allows my sin to be forgiven and my relationship with you restored. I want to receive that gift of eternal life right here and right now by placing my faith and my trust that you did that for me. We praise you for being our God, for being our father. We thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name. Amen. I want to thank you again for being here with us today. We look forward to seeing you soon, guys. We hope you were encouraged today. Subscribe to the Fox River Podcast to ensure you don't miss future messages. Stay connected through our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, make a difference in the lives of those you know by sharing with them. We are grateful for you and hope you join us again soon.